Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Daily Duff Differently. I'm Rabbi Utz Neuer, and today we will be studying Duff 49, Mem Tet, in the fourth chapter of Masechet Yevamot. The Mishnah on top of 49 Aleph starts a discussion about one of the more difficult aspects in Jewish law, that of a mamzer. Now let's have a look at the origin of the term. In Deuteronomy 23.3, a mamzer is condemned, lo yavo mamzer bekahal Hashem, gam bedo asiri lo yavo lo bekahal Hashem. A mamzer shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. None of his descendants, even in the tenth generation, shall be admitted into the congregation of the Lord. So this is the only place in the Torah in which the term mamza is used. Actually, there's one, there's actually one other uh, occasion that is in Zechariah 9.6, where it says, uh, And a mamza shall dwell in Ashdod, I will cut off the pride of the Philistines. But these are the only two occasions where it's mentioned. In the five books of Moses, it's only here in Deuteronomy where this is, uh, uh, the terminology mamza appears. But um, it actually doesn't provide us with a definition what the term means, and who falls under the category of a mamzer. And once we add it, what does it mean that someone is prohibited from entering into the congregation of the Lord? And uh, we also don't really know, does ten generations really mean ten generations? So that brings us to our Mishnah. So our Mishnah starts, Ezehu mamzer, kol she'er basa shehu belo yavo, Divrei Rabbi Akiva. Shimon HaTemani Omer, Kol Shechayavim Alav Kared Beyadei Shamayim, Vehalacha Kidvarav. So who is a Mamzer? The Mamzer is the offspring of a union of near relatives to which the term He shall not come near applies. These are the words of Rabbi Akiva. Now Shimon HaTemani says, the offspring of any union for which the punishment is karet, meaning excision by the hands of heaven. And the halacha is in accordance with his opinion. The Mishnah continues then saying that uh, to Rabbi uh, Joshua that a mamzer is the offspring of any union for which the death penalty by the Beit Din applies. And Rabbi Shimon ben Azai said, I found a family registry in Jerusalem in which it was recorded that Ploni ben Ploni was a mamzer because he is the offspring of a married woman, which confirms the words of Rabbi Joshua. So Rabbi Shimon uh, Temani, his, his definition of a mamzer being the offspring of a forbidden union, for which the penalty of karet exists became the accepted halachic definition. But also Rabbi Joshua's uh, definition of death by uh, Beit Din became an extension of the definition who is a mamzer. 
So today, when we think about Mamzer, we primarily know it uh, in the context of married women who conceive children with someone else but their husbands, um, and usually the cases that the woman didn't receive a get. So in the Shulchan Aruch, in the uh, section that is called Evan Ha'ezer, um, in um, 4.13, there are three definitions given for who falls under the category of a mamzer. So the first is, it is a child born out of incest. The second is, it is a child born to a married woman with a man other than her husband. And the third is a child, basically it's a variation on the second one, but it's a little bit more complicated. So the third one is a child born to a woman who believed that her husband had died. Subsequently, she remarried and had children. And then it became known that her first husband was still alive. So, let's go back to our Gemara. At the bottom of page 49 Aleph, continuing in 49b, we read the following. Amar Abaye, hakol mudim, bevaa al hanida ve al hasota, she'ein havlad mamzer. So Abaye says, everybody agrees that if someone sleeps with a nida or a sota, the offspring is not considered a mamzer. Just to explain, as a footnote, a nida is a woman who has her period or had her period and has not yet immersed in the ritual bath afterwards. Such a woman is forbidden to her husband under the punishment of karet. Now, a sota is a woman who is suspected of adultery, but no proof has been found, and she too is forbidden to her husband by threat of the punishment of flogging. Now, after all what we have read, it seems obvious that the offspring of a sota is not a mamzer, because such an offspring does not fit the definition either of Rabbi Shimon HaTemani or of Rabbi Joshua. But what about the nida? This is surprising, because we know that to sleep with a menstruant woman is a crime punishable by karet, and so the child should be a mamzer. And yet, Abai says, hakol mudim, everybody agrees that such a child is not a mamzer. The implication for someone to be labeled a mamzer are very, very serious. Such a person is not allowed to marry anyone else except another mamzer, a convert, a freed slave, or a non-Jew. It obviously causes some serious ethical problems. I'll just take one example. If a convert is allowed to marry a mamzer, because it kind of devalues or delegitimizes the status of a convert. And that contradicts what we just learned previously. He is considered an Israelite in all respect. But if he is actually a, such a person, a convert is allowed to marry a mamzer, then clearly he is not lechol dvarav. He is not like an Israelite in every aspect. But this is not the only ethical problem uh, we have, as we will see in a short while. We will see later on in this tractate on 70, 78b that if a mamzer did marry a Jew, 
meaning a Jew who is not a mamzer or a convert, the marriage was dissolved and their children in turn would be classified as mamzerim. But it is also interesting because it allows for a loophole. If a male mamzer has a child with a non-Jewish woman, that child is not Jewish, right? Because it is not born by a Jewish mother. But mamzerut is a purely Jewish category. So therefore, because the child is not Jewish, the child cannot be a mamzer. Now, that child, that non-Jewish child, may then subsequently convert to Judaism. And because we also just learned that a child, um, a, a, a convert that converts is like a newborn child. Meaning, such a person, after his conversion or her conversion, will not be considered a mamzer. So, that's a very neat loophole, illegal loophole. But the ethical problem with mamzerut should be obvious for most. Because the children who had no part and bear no responsibility for the sin of their parents are the sole victims of the, con of the consequences. Not only does it affect their own lives, it affects the lives of their spouses and their future offspring, until the 10th generation. And already the rabbis were very unhappy with it. And the fact that they didn't tap the loophole that I just mentioned about somebody, uh, a male mamzer being able to, uh, to marry um, a non-Jewish woman, um, and the children then not being uh, Jewish and hence not being mamzerim, that testifies to the fact that they were quite happy with having this loophole in place, because otherwise they would have found a way of doing away with it. So at least for the male mamzerim, obviously it doesn't work for women, because um, a woman who is a mamzeret, her offspring would be Jewish no matter what, so that it wouldn't work for that. So, but it also shows, or we also know that rabbis have tried to find all sorts of solution, from the legal loophole that I just mentioned above, to attempts to annul the previous marriage, or even in the case of testimony, saying where a woman admits that her child's father is not her husband, to simply dismiss her testimony, according to the Talmudic principle that a person should not be believed if uh, he or she accuses herself, because the implication here is that she not only admits that her child is a mamzer, she basically also admits to the very serious crime of adultery, which has, as we know, a very, very serious implication because it is punishable by death. So hence, her testimony is not believed on that account. And even more common among rabbis throughout the century, and especially after the Holocaust, was to simply ignore evidence, and even refuse to listen to it. And all of this was done in order to prevent, to put anyone in the category of mamzer. When in the past, this was something a person might be able to deal with by simply moving to a faraway city or a different part of the country or even to a completely different part of the world. 
where he or she is not known and simply start over. In our day and time, with the internet, you know, all the research stuff you can do, the genealogical research, the DNA testing, this has become way more complicated. And it is still the practice that most rabbis follow the line of we do not listen to testimony when it comes to Mamzerut. In the conservative movement, the uh, Committee on Jewish Law and Standards passed, a, passed actually a tshuva rendering the concept of Mamzerut inoperative by refusing to consider evidence of Mamzerut. Although this might not be the most elegant solution, but it simply follows this approach that I already mentioned and that has been practiced by rabbis, by rabbis in previous uh, centuries. And um, with this, we will conclude the fifth chapter of Yevamot. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.